Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Devin Miller. Devin, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We've already had a fun little quick chat before we uh, hit the big red button, but Devin, you and I are at a networking event. Man, how would you introduce yourself to me? Well, it's a hard question because, first of all, I'm terrible at networking events, so I'm sure I would mess <laughs> it up. But we'll, we'll give the benefit of the doubt that I would I would exceed expectations. So if I were at a networking event, I mean, usually you say hi and, you, you know, you, you introduce, you know, I'm an intellectual or property attorney, patents and trademarks, and that's how I'd, I'd probably start, you know, Beyond the first two seconds of my name is Devin and I'm a patent attorney, you know, if I were to kind of just give the quick introduction that people are saying, so what do you do or what kind of interests you? First thing I always say is, you know, most important is I'm a husband and uh, husband and father. So I talk about how I um, have a wife that I've been married to for 14 years, have four kids that are ages um, are five to 11. I'm oldest as a son and then, and then three girls beyond that. And that's kind of the, probably the most important thing to me and always what I like to talk about. And then beyond that, um, you know, my passion and what I love to do is anything related to startups, small businesses, and entrepreneurs. And that's that's really been my journey. And that can be everything from I have done several seven and eight figure businesses that I've started, founded, co-founded, and, and grown and still actively participate in those to I also um, do intellectual property. And I started my intellectual property uh, law firm about um, three years ago. Before that, I was an attorney for about six years at other firms. So that's kind of the, if it was a, just get to know me or, you know, in networking, kind of say hi, and then I don't know, see where the conversation goes from there. And from what I understand on my basic research here, you would know what I mean when I say Nihao Ma or Shishe, you, <laughs> you, you would know what those words are, because that's about the extent of my Mandarin. But I mean, man, you, you just sound like a classic underachiever. I mean, you got an MBA, <laughs> you got a law degree, you have a degree in Mandarin. And it's, is, am I right? The last degree is, is it mechanical engineering or? Electrical. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, oh, well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't handle mechanical engineering. That's right. So you had to go, go for the easy one. Go the easy, the easy route. Right. So, and I, I understand you're a UVA grad. Um, so BYU for yep. undergraduates, so electrical engineering and Chinese. And then I actually went to Case Western Reserve out in Cleveland, Ohio um, for the law degree and the MBA degree. Oh, it's a, for some reason, I thought you went to the University of Virginia. I, I thought that that was somewhere. And I, that sounds maybe, like a good school, too. If, if what, we want to club hey, that in, I'm sure someday maybe I'll go do it. But I was going to no, say, uh, you just made a thought. note. You said, okay, next year I'm going to get a degree from the University of Virginia. Now, my wife always jokes that I got, or I got four degrees, which is three degrees too many. So I think after <laughs> I got the last degree, she's like, okay, now you have to actually go out and earn money and actually do something to make these degrees <laughs> exactly. worthwhile. So. so were you a good student in high school? Yeah, I was a pretty good student. I mean, I don't remember exactly. I, I think I think our, our GPA, I was, you know, not quite a 4.0. I think uh, I'll give the one, the one only memory I have of my grade, which I was like, I was at 89.999%. And I went and asked the, or the teacher, would you round up or can I do a little bit of, you know, extra credit so I can get an A minus instead of a B plus, which was like, I think the only B plus I got in high school. And my teacher, and the teacher said, 
well, you can stay after and do some extra credit. And I may or may not give you extra credit, or I may or may or not round it up or give you extra credit. And I'm like, so I thought, I'm like, well, this only a maybe, I'm not going to do that. So that was the only B plus I got. So I was a pretty good uh, student in, uh, in uh, high school. I, I tended to probably be on the semi-nerdy side. So I tended to like studying. Well, obviously, I mean, nobody has four degrees that doesn't somehow <laughs> like to be in, in the education space. But so it is, it, it seems like such an interesting track. So, you know, you had the electrical engineering degree. Did you work in that field for a while before you kind of got the startup bug? Or did you just like, hey, you know, I, I, I did this degree, but <laughs> I, I've got to scratch that itch somewhere else. My short answer is not a day in my life. Now, I did do some internships and I did, but as far as after I graduated doing a full-time job after graduation, I didn't. I worked, you know, I worked for some uh, engineering firms during graduation and I've just done some engineering afterwards. But when right. I got to the end of engineering and I always, you know, I did the dual degree, but I really, engineering was my focus. And I got to the end, I said, you know, I like engineering, but I don't want to be an engineer. And the <laughs> meaning, you know, I liked engineering, figuring out how things work, kind of building things and, and all of that. But I was looking at the career field as more of, you know, if I go into this career, it's, you know, you have to start from the bottom. It takes you, you have to stay in a company for a long time. You work your way up, you, you know, work there 10 or 15 years. And before that, you're a really small cog and a really big wheel and you don't really have any impact and you don't really have any say, you don't have any direction. I'm like, I don't want to wait that long in my career. So that was kind of where I said, okay, what else can I do? And then I kind of said, well, I love entrepreneurship, start up small businesses. And I think the the law and especially intellectual property sounded pretty interesting. So I was kind of trying to decide which path do I go? And I said, well, rather than choose one or the other, I'll just do both. And so that's where I went off, got the, the dual degree. And I've been chasing entrepreneurship and startups as well as the law ever since. So uh, is there a typical day when you get up in the morning, uh, you've got your four kids, you have, you know, your family at home, you, you probably have to get up fairly early to get the day started. But what does a typical day look like if, if there is such a thing? So I'll give the outside of work, I have a, a reasonably typical day and then we'll kind of say maybe a typical day at work. But <laughs> so my typical day is when I get up. So I, I like to run or I, I love to run. I don't, I don't know if I love to run. I like the, I like to be in shape and be healthy. And so yep. by definition, I like to run, not because it's my favorite thing to do, but it is. So I'll get up. I usually run about uh, anywhere between eight and a half to nine or nine and a half miles a day in the morning. So I'll usually get up anywhere from five to six, depending on how late I got to bed at the beginning, run for an hour and a half to two hours. Um, and that, you know, for me, I love to run when I, I keep healthy. I don't get, uh, you know, don't uh, get unhealthy. And then two, as I also, it gives me a time to unwind and think. Mm, Most of the time when sure. I'm at work, I am just going hundred miles an hour, trying to right. get as much done as I can, many projects as I can. And I don't really have time just to think. And so I'll put on a podcast, I'll put on a book on tape and half the time I'll get through and I'm like, you know, I don't remember what I was listening to, but I have a lot of great ideas. So, <laughs> so I'll do that. And then I'll come home, you know, get ready for work, say, or say goodbye to the kids. They're going off to school. So I usually catch them before they go off to school and before they get on the bus. Um, and then I get into work. And beyond that, I don't know that I have an absolute typical day. Now, usually it's either working on, I have a few startups and small businesses I run, and it'll either be sometimes one week will be just primarily focused on those. And other times I'm really just focused on the law firm. So I, and it can be any, any given day, any given hour, but I, I tend to jump between those and managing the teams, have great team members in here and, and great clients and great systems and that. I don't know that I have a typical day beyond that until I get home, then I'll have dinner, play with the kids. They go to bed about eight or eight o'clock. I'll usually relax. And if I have a whole bunch of emails that I ignored because I was doing other things today, I'll answer those and go to right. bed. So 
that's about as typical day as I get. So I have, I've interviewed a, a, a lot of people that are in this space that their, their product or service is kind of, kind of aims at startup founders. And one thing I hear over and over and over again is the biggest problem with startups is they don't have any money. You know, they can't pay for the services that we want to provide. They know they need them. It's a perfect fit. It's just too early in the in the revenue generating process. So have you found that to be true, especially with your with your law firm, you know, aiming kind of in that space? I guess that not all of it, obviously, but have you found that that little little idea to be true? Yeah, and and that is the the primary focus of law or the law firm. I you know when I started, it was really hey, I want to focus on startups and small businesses, and so with that, that's really been the focus. Now we have a few you know medium to you know medium sized clients in that, but yet short answer is yes. That was a long answer for a short answer, but <laughs> short answer is yeah. I mean, I always I found and I've been I've been in both sides. I've done the startups and small business. I've also been on the service side of providing them services. And startups always have more things to spend money on than money to spend. And they're always saying, okay, do we hire? Do we get facilities? Do we do inventory? Do we, um, you know, do marketing and sales? Do we do legal? And, you know, as a startup, you don't have the money to cover everything. And so, right. you know, then, then it's kind of a triage. And so a lot of times I'm getting into where the, you know, and it, it, it ranges, but if I'm working with a startup or small business, if they're earlier on, then it's kind of, hey, we have the, we know we need this. Can you let us know kind of what it's going to cost? What is the time frame? when yep. we should be considering it? And then I'll also say, here are the times, like, if you go beyond this date, you're going to, it's going to be, create a much bigger issue for you. But then, you know, when I, when I did it, you know, I, there's a couple of things that we did to make it easier for startups and small businesses. One is I set it up. We don't have near the amount of overhead that a lot of our law firms, most mm -hmm. of the time, a law firm it's the high-rise building and it's decked yeah. out with wood and it's the nicest and it's not that we have bad offices but i'm not going to spend an exorbitant amount uh, for just the best building when you know it doesn't provide the value to the client and then you know so we can reduce that and we don't have a ton of partners that are always just taking a big cut of everybody and right. you know it's really not the not uh, profitable to do it unless they have a very high rate and then we, so we set up to be reasonable rates. And then we also set up to do flat fees. And that's one of the things I love. I don't like, but most, a lot of the legal industry doesn't do, but I love the, I love it from offering it to startups and small mm -hmm. businesses that they know, Hey, for this project, for this task, this is what I'm going to pay. It's all right. inclusive. I don't have to. So even if I don't get started today, I can save up for it. And I know what I'm going to cost. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing, and then I'll take a break. Um, the last thing was, is that we also offer payment plans, which is, you know, we right. were saying hey, that helps you, I understand you have a lot of things going on and that you have a lot of things you have to spend money on. So let's help you spread it out. So that was a much longer answer to a short question, which is, I think that startups and small businesses always have their triage list, always trying to figure out where to do it. And so, because I've been through that, I also, when I'm providing services to them, try and be cognizant of it and offer them options. Is there, is there kind of the prototypical startup that, that really needs your services more than others? Like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you have a, SaaS company or whatever that has developed something really unique and has some good funding behind it and has a real runway ahead of it. And, and there's a lot of exposure, a lot of risk exposure to, you know, for other companies to use that or whatever. I, I would say they have a really urgent need for you to step in and kind of help protect them. Somebody that's yeah. just starting something in their garage that nobody's ever heard of and has no, you know, very little exposure, you know, that's to me is almost like, yeah, that's a, uh, it's a, like just in time. I need it. Um, I may need it later, you know, and when I can, and actually maybe when I can afford those services. 
Yeah, I think that's, I'd say that's, I'll give it 85%, 90% true. The only caveat I'd give is so, one, a couple people that just, I don't think ever really need IP service. If you're a mom and pop shop that you're just servicing the local community, whatever you're doing, if you're just saying, hey, I just want to help the neighborhood, I have a business, it's just local, whether it's patents, trademarks, copyrights, really, I would say you don't need it because you're just, it, it, it isn't going to be applicable to you. But when you're talking, you know, as far as if you're just a garage inventor, you're doing the only exception, I would say what you said is correct. But the one exception is if you're in a very competitive marketplace, in other words, you're doing something that is groundbreaking, you know, give you an example, cryptocurrency, you know, whether it's whether it's a good idea, bad idea, it certainly is a, a big area and a lot of innovation, a lot of competition, right. because people are trying to figure out what to do. And so if you're saying, hey, I've got a great idea, I put I'm going to put in a lot of time, money and effort. It's a crowded build. I know a lot of other people are working on it. Then it moves that time frame up that even if you have a low risk of exposing your idea out to people, because so many other people are working on the problems, it's more likely that somebody else is going to come up with that. Absolutely. Now that makes perfect sense. And I, and even from like a trend, trademark standpoint and, and just, you know, the, just the ideas, you know, that you have that, whether it's just IP, whether it's copper or whatever the, whatever you're trying to protect, but I want to I want to step back in time and just kind of go back to like right at the end of your initial like bachelor's degree. So what was the trigger that that you just woke up one day and had that, you know, shining light epiphany that said, I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm going to go out on my own. What what was that shift? Yeah, I don't. It's a good question. It's a hard question because I don't know if I just remember just an epiphany. I think it was probably more somewhere in graduate school. So I knew I wanted to do startups and small businesses, but it wasn't like I had a, hey, here's my path or here's exactly where I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I said, I want to do this. I don't, you know, problem with, you know, you get an MBA or you get you be an entrepreneur, it's a very nebulous thing because it can mean a whole lot of things. And right. there's not like a path you're saying, oh, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you just go do this and everybody goes the same path because it's not there. Um, so I remember more so probably when I was in doing, so I was as a bit of context and, you know, saying I'm an underachiever, I was in doing the dual degree. So the law degree and the MBA degree at the same time, I uh, had a two-year-old at the time. Yes, and we one had a does. I mean, come on. <laughs> and then you I had said a newborn. that's so nonchalant. <laughs> well, not only that, then I had a newborn. That, oh so I had a two-year-old and a newborn. I was working 20 hours a week as a law clerk. And then I remember, and I can't remember, it was, a, it was a flyer and email. I always try to remember, never can. But it was basically one of those where it was, hey, let's say a multidisciplinary um, business competition where everybody gets together. You don't know anybody. You form groups and you, you, know, you enter in the competition trying to try and win some money. So that's where I went in and entered. And the first year, we did horrible. We, did, we took second place. But I thought the idea was, it was one where it was never going to go anywhere. It was to make gym bags less smelly. It was a cool idea, but it was never really going to do anything. But the second year we got all back together and that's kind of where I really got the bug of saying, okay, I love this and I want to do it was we entered in a business competition. It was for wearables. Now it was before Apple watch or Fitbit or anything else came out, but it was, you know, kind of, I was like, you know, I was in, I mentioned, I love running and I just did a marathon. I said, wouldn't it be cool if you did, you could monitor your hydration level. You could have a watch that could tell you how hydrated you are and if you need to drink. And so that was a genesis of the idea. Long story short, started a business or Went, entered in the competition, took second place again, which I'm still bitter about, and then um, started a business from that. So kind of from that, doing the business competition, actually taking an idea that I thought was good enough to start a business was really the, the path where I said, okay, I can't just work for someone else. And I, I still worked for law firms for about six years before I started my own law firm, wanting to get experience, but it was always kind of, I think, from that initial yeah. 
doing that business competition, I said, I got to do it. I want to do my own thing. When you did the uh, kind of like the wearable, did you kind of leverage universities to help you in the in development of the idea or use any of their labs or anything like that? If I were to do it again, it would be a great idea. <laughs> but sites 2020. No, That's right. no I, I didn't I mean, ask I did, you that like it, you should have. I'm just curious. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, oh, now I think about it, I'm like, I would definitely recommend that. Universities <laughs> have a lot of a lot of expensive equipment, a lot of great resources that I absolutely should have used. Short answer is I think we use maybe some software for design or other things, but we really didn't, you know, when we got it started and I was, you know, I had the idea and I was like, okay, so how do I do this? You know, I had an electrical engineering background, but I didn't really have any direct idea of how to do this. So I called up my dad that was in the medical industry and then is also an electrical engineer that so if you were to monitor hydration, kind of any ideas as to how we do that. And he's like, well, I got a couple ideas. We could try it out. I actually went home over Christmas break while I was home in Utah from uh, Ohio. And my dad and I went to his lab and we basically built up the prototype that I started testing. So it was much more of, I, I, used, I did leverage my dad's electrical engineering lab that he had set up with his work to, to build the prototype and to use or a lot of his knowledge. I would have loved to have used the university's knowledge if I could have. I just wasn't smart enough to do it at that point. And I, I, you say things, and I don't want to use the word too much. It becomes like hackneyed expression here. But the things that you say, you, you say them in such a nonchalant manner. Yeah, I was home with my dad. We went and kind of knocked up this, this uh, whole prototype of, you know, how to, how to measure your hydration level. I mean, it, was it through your it's easy. sweat? Don't worry about it. I mean, how, did, how, do you, how do you even do that? Is that? Is it through your sweat? Is it like salt level or something? Or what do you... How, how, I mean, you're poking your skin. How are you measuring that? No, so we actually, I, I wanted to do it non-invasively. So I don't think people hate needles. They hate getting poked. And so I say non-invasive basically meaning you don't have to poke yourself. You don't mm -hmm. have to go into your body. And so, you know, and so I had some dumber ideas and my dad was the one, I'll credit him with at least coming up with, and then we flesh it out, but of using what's called bioimpedance, which is basically you're on a small electrical current through your skin and then it will, you'll have two sensors on each side of your, of a small part of your body. It'll run it through. And basically depending on what your, where your water level is, and also like mm. the salts and that in your, in your sweat and that, that will change that how much uh, uh, in current goes through your skin will go up or down, depending on how much you're hydrated. So that's, you know, we've, that's a much simpler answer to a much longer technology and building it out. And this has been multiple years, but that was kind of the start of, you know, running electrical current through a small portion of your body and see how it changes. And based on that, it's a good indication of hydration. So how did that company do? So, yeah, these are, I, I try and keep these a reasonable answer, but it's always hard because I always <laughs> want to tell the whole story. But so trying to give a short answer. So I, so we went to, so enter business competition, took second place. I'm bitter. And we can dive into that if you wanted to know why I'm bitter, but we should have taken first place. But and nobody's um, actually, ever heard of the winners anymore. <laughs> they just disappeared nope. in like six months. I actually did look up the winner, and yeah, they, they're since defunct. They didn't do anything, and you know. But okay, now now you got me on my tangent. I got to say why I'm bitter. So the problem with the business competition and this complete tangent is that the people that took first place were the ones that won the year before. So they continued on doing the same or idea and development and took all the money they won and invested in it so we had a better idea a better marketplace a better prototype but theirs was more polished and, and nicer and farther along from that sense and so they won the competition even though i think we should have won based on all, every all the other work we did but nonetheless now that i'm off on my tangent um 
so we went, so I, we got to the end of the business competition. I had three other people that had worked in and in, in work or been partners or were a part of the team that had helped in the business competition. And we were all graduating. We're all seniors or, you know, last year of our school. And I was like, Hey, I think this is a good idea. I think it's worthwhile pursuing, you know, but we're all going to different parts of the country. I don't think that's a good way to run a startup to have everybody spread out. I don't think it's going to be successful. So how about I just buy you guys all out? I'll just, you know, purchase your position. So I own everything outright, own the IP, own the, you know, rights to it, all the development. So I bought them all out and continued on. Um, and then as I graduated or after I graduated, I went back and I was, I was back in Utah or by families I was working and I was basically working two full-time jobs. I was doing my full legal career and, and pursuing that. And then I also had this as my side hustle, which was really, I spent as many times as I did on the law side, um, but continue to build that up. We built it to where we had a pretty good prototype and it was functional. We tested out, we had good data. And then we were getting an investor and we're saying, okay, we need to get an investor to really take it to the next level. So we brought on an investor. He was also came on, was actually part of the business, you know, you know, part of management and we did it and we continued to develop it. And we got to the point where we were testing with college teams and NFL teams, and we were, you know, doing it and getting ready to kind of take it to that final level. What we found out is that when you're working with a lot of, we thought athletes are good initial market for us, but athletes want something that not only works well and has a functionality, but it really looks nice. In other words, mm. they have a bit of, you know, a vain nature, so to speak, that they're big on appearance. And if it doesn't look nice, it doesn't matter how good it is. It's not, they're not going to wear it. So we were actually going out and exploring, Hey, how do we get more investors on this? You know, or we need to get more dollars to, to kind of do that final polish. And so we were shopping it around and, you know, talking everything from Samsung to Fitbit, we're talking to Apple. And then we had, kind of an unexpected it was an acquaintance of my father's but he was doing a different company which was in diabetes monitoring and you think well diabetes monitoring is different than hydration but a lot of the technology overlapped yeah. and was actually had a lot of a congruency so when we were doing that we started getting in talks with them and said you know you've got a good thing going on the diabetes monitoring but you don't have as much technology we have some awesome technology diabetes market is much bigger than the hydration market. And so we actually merged the two companies together, worked out a deal and that company is getting air still going today. I think that they've done some soft launches. They have some clients really for the technology will be released sometime next year. Mm -hmm. So that, that is uh, that's an amazing story. <laughs> so you, you pivoted. I mean, I'm assuming you almost stepped out of that at that moment and then yeah. stepped into what after right after that. I mean, your, your mind must always be churning. So <laughs> What, what were you, what was the whiteboard you had in your office? You had 18 more ideas lined up to, 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 get, to go after. Yeah, exactly. So I'm still part of it. I, I still do things with the business, but I did take a step back. It was, it was a business that was growing. There was a great team, engineering management. I still do a lot of the legal work for him, but it was one where I'm saying, okay, it's one where it's continuing to evolve. There's a merger. So I'm going to step back just as you mentioned. So while I still participate in it, that was about the same time as we as I was looking to say, okay, you know, I think that the legal field and the legal career, I've been working for, and I worked for the big law firms and I worked for, you know, didn't have clients like Amazon and Intel and Red Hat and others. And so name recognition clients were great, but I was saying one is, I think the startups and small businesses are getting overlooked. They're not getting the same level of mm -hmm. service. It's oftentimes they're priced out of the marketplace and law firms just generally just don't pay attention to them because they, they're not the big clients that bring in the big dollars. And I also said, you know, it feels like the legal field is like 40 years behind everybody as far as technology and systems. And they just have, we've been doing it forever. So we'll just keep doing it this way, even though it doesn't make sense and nobody can explain it, but we're going to keep doing it this way. So that was really when I stepped out and I said, you know, one is I want to start my own law firm. I want to focus on startup small businesses. 
I want to do a lot more innovation within the legal field. And we can, that's a whole nother conversation. We set up automations, we set up, you know, CRMs, we set up for how to do videos and I'm big on videos and content and lots of things that I think are, or we do a lot better. And then at the same time, I also had another business, which was um, doing product development. So prototyping and product development, mm -hmm. they kind of go hand in glove in the sense that we can sometimes help startups and small businesses that need prototyping product development, or we've got clients on the IP side that are needing product development or prototyping. So it kind of went together fairly well. And so I kind of started both of those businesses up at, at about the same time and really kept or got those going in and been, that's been a lot of my endeavor. Now I got about three other businesses that I do as well, but that's been a lot of my full-time or, or a lot of my focus. Right. So I, I want to, I want to kind of drill down in the, on the law firm side of things as, as we're wrapping up, you know, a little later, but Right now, I want to ask you a question that's kind of a, a unique question that, you know, I, I hear on my other favorite business startup podcast, you know, that I don't know that he's asked it in a year, a year and a half, but he used to mm -hmm. wrap up with this question that said, okay, if you had the knowledge you have today and you had a thousand dollars, but you didn't have any degrees, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow? What would you start? I don't know if it fit. I, I, I got an answer, but I don't know if it fit within the thousand dollar limitation, which is if it was, I'll give two answers. I'll give it if I had more money than a thousand dollars and I'll also give the thousand dollars. So thousand dollars, if it was me and I had, if I had the knowledge, I would say a thousand dollars, I'd probably start up some service-based industry. And if I had it, you know, if I already had my all my degrees, it'd be a law firm. If not, I, I think that another area that is a great area that doesn't require a ton of startup cash would be more of in the service like content creation, SEO, website creation, those have a low barrier to entry. If you're talented and can do a good job, I think that those are really good. So that's probably where I'd go. I also think food trucks would be fun, but that's more than a thousand dollars. That's nothing to do with my experience. I just think they're cool. Um, Maybe you just got a bicycle my, with a hot dog stand or something <laughs> on the back. There you go. I can do a hot dog stand. That would be awesome. So now I'll give my idea is if I had more than a thousand, everything else is the same, but if I had more than a thousand dollars, and this is an idea I've actually I thought it's a good idea, but I, I just had too many things and I've never quite gotten around to it, but I'll, I'll pitch it out to you. I did actually file a patent on it. So if anybody copies it, I, I will sue them. Right. Yeah, I but, know a good attorney. That's, that's right. right. I know a good attorney. But my idea was always that, you know, so you have customer service. One of the biggest things with customer service that is a difficulty is that you, you either you have to automate it and it's that phone tree that you dial 20 different numbers mm -hmm. and you get to the wrong person, they transfer you, you get hung up on or you, you get to the wrong person, you go through five people and then they can't help you anyway. And it's always aggravating. But the reason companies do it is because you know, it's too hard to have somebody staffed all the time and it, it's too hard to variability as far as how many people are on and everything else. And so either you have to automate it, do chat bots, or you just have to, you know, try and do the other systems, none of which work well. Right. So my idea has always been that you would do an Uber for customer service. In other words, you would get customer service, whereas you get people that have a good background and experience in a given industry, but aren't necessarily working to it or aren't working customer service. And then they can have an, they can sign up or have an app on their phone that when somebody needs customer service, they get connected up with them. And then they can, you know, you can rate them and they can get to do a good thing, but it basically allows kind of a, Hey, I'm sitting at home. I'm watching a show. I'd like to earn a bit of extra money. Somebody needs help on how to reset their iPhone or how to factory default it. I've done that a hundred times. I can help them with that. Mm -hmm. And then it connects them up with that. So if I had more money than a thousand dollars, that's the one I would probably pursue if I were to start all over again. 
but I've already got my hands in enough things and enough are tied up that I've never quite pursued it. So those would be my two that are the ones that I would pursue. I, I think that's a great idea. I think, I think the companies would certainly pay for that service because it probably would save them money on having, not having to have a customer service staff you know, for sure. But hey, I could, I could see this and that that is on demand, you know, kind of just in time only as needed type type exactly. of response, but let's, uh, let's, let's kind of drill down in the, in the, say the, just the, whole legal space for startups. So mm. if you were talking to people that are just getting started, what's what's two or three things that, that you would, you know, advise that they really are cognizant of that you think are just, you know, these are really game changers from, from the legal standpoint as you're starting, you know, whether it's formation, whether it's protection, how, mm-hmm. whatever you, you just, just pick two or three things that you think are really crucial for anybody that's starting anything. So I'll give that, I'll, I'll preface that and then I'll answer your question. First, I would identify what is the value of your business. I think that's one thing that people tend to not give enough thought about or overlook because it really does vary as to what you're going to be looking to protect or how you're going to build your business based on where your value proposition and is, that, is. You're talking about a financial amount or are you talking about like what's the, the value so, offer to your you know, customer? Is it, I would have said more is the core of the business. So is it your technology? Are you a technology right. company? You're offering a really cool product. Is it a brand company? You're the next Pepsi or Coke or Starbucks or Apple or whatever, and you have a great brand. Or is it you are going to write the next best book and it's going to be, you know, the next bestseller, whether it's Tom Clancy or Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or pick your book. And so I would say that's the one thing that more people jump over than than they don't give enough thought is more of where am I building the value into my business? And then you start to work as to how I protect it. So that would be one of the things I would hit on. One of the things early on that I recommend every business do, and it's, and a lot of them do, but so many people jump over is, is it, I would do a, an LLC. If I had a business and I was going to invest any amount of time and effort into it, I would form an LLC the very next day. Instead of a C-Corp. C-Corps are fine and S-Corps are fine. And if mm-hmm. you're, if you're from day one, going to go for investor dollars and you, that's your venture capital, those type of things, then I'd probably go for S-Corp or C-Corp. If it's mm-hmm. going to be me, my partners are going to build it. LLCs are easier to maintain. They're less expensive. Right. They, they're less burdensome. So I'd probably do an LLC, but there, there are ways that you can do it. Mm-hmm. But the bigger thing is I would form something because there's a lot of people that they get going, they're doing it for a year or two. They never quite get around to it. They're just doing it in their basement and that. And then they find, they put it there. They find out that, you know, somebody sent them a cease and desist letter and they get, they, you mm-hmm. know, get threatened yeah. with a lawsuit. Yep. They never fit or set up a business formation. And now their house is on the line, their life savings are on the line, their anything that they own is on the line because there is no separation between their personal assets and their business assets. And or you know, or it could be you had a product liability, you put something on the marketplace and somebody got hurt or they got killed or right. had an adverse reaction. Form an LLC or form a business, and LLCs are the easiest or simplest, mm-hmm. but form a business out of the shoe. The last thing I do is now I'm getting into IP is there are deadlines that you need to be aware of. Give you a quick example on the patent side. If you put something out in the public and it's out in the public for more than a year, you have now just donated to the public. You can no longer get a patent on it. You Once it's been out in the public, it can be on trade shows, website, offering it for sale. Anytime it reaches a public, you have one year to file a patent on it. If you don't, you miss a window and you're not able to get it. And so there's deadlines associated with protecting your business that you need to be aware of. And a lot of people, and I don't blame them. If I wasn't in the patent field all the time, there'd be deadlines that I wasn't aware of. But what I would recommend people to do is go talk with, you know, I offer strategy meetings for free sessions. I know other attorneys or some do, a lot of them don't, some do, but I would go and sit down and say, 
here's what my business is. What should I be thinking about now? When do what deadlines do I need to know about? And when or when when are the critical timeframes that I need to know? And then you at least build that in your time frame. And if you decide, hey, I don't want to go after a pen, then you know. But it, the worst is, is I have clients that come to my room and says or come into my office and say, hey, I've been working. I you know we I've been working on this invention. We finally got a you know sold a thousand units. It's just taken off and it's it's going great. And I said. Just out of curiosity, so how long have you been selling it for? Oh, we've been selling it for about five years now. And I think, and so then it's the thing that I get to say, that is awesome that you have a great business and it's doing so well. I can't help you with the patent because we're past the window. And it's just kind of those things that know your deadlines and then work backwards. And so those are probably LLC formation, figure out your core as far as what your business is value, mm -hmm. not the money you have, but where you're, where you're generating the value right. of your business and then know your deadlines. What a, I mean, that, that is a, that's a mini law course you've just given us right there in just three steps. So as, as we wrap up today, I mean, talk to our, our listeners of that, you know, that might need services, like, you know, give us your, give us your best pitch here and tell people where you, they can find you online. Absolutely. So if they need anything, whether it's patents, trademarks, copyrights, we do business formations, we do NDAs, CIAs, a lot of those, anything that's kind of business related on the legal side, we can cover. If they want to, what I would suggest better than anything is to set up a strategy meeting with me. I offer 15 minutes. You don't have to pay a thing. There's no obligation. I just want to sit down with you and help you out. Easiest way to do that is to go to strategymeeting.com. That links right to my calendar. You can grab a day and time that works for you. You can sign up and we'll have a good conversation. We have more clients outside of the, of, of the state of Utah where I'm located than inside because where I do uh, intellectual property is on the federal level. So I'm not limited to any given state. So we can do it via Zoom. We can do it via phone call. We can do it in my office, whatever works for you. But just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. The one other thing, if they want to just find out more about myself, the law firm, our prices, flat fees, we have a ton. I mean, hundreds of videos, ton of content, lots of blogs all set up to help to them to get, or, you know, everybody start a small business, get education before they even meet with us or to get a better understanding. They can just go to lawwithmiller.com, all one word, lawwithmiller.com. And that, or that will go to our, our main website. So strategymeeting.com, what I prefer, grab some time with me, go to lawwithmiller if you just want to find out more. Now, is that the same site as milleripl.com? Is that yeah, that's I, just Two different URLs point the same. Two side. different URLs. So okay. for a, mil, a law with Miller, it makes it easier for people to remember where or how to spell it and where to go. I, I thought Miller IPL would be shorter and easier. And then everybody doesn't like, is an I is in, in P and L. And it's like, they, everybody <laughs> seems to think like, is that a P or a B? Is that an L? And so I'm like, law with Miller is an easy way to direct people to it. There but they go to go. the same place. There you go. Well, Devin, I, I really appreciate your time tonight. It's It's been a pleasure. And I mean, I there are, millions of questions I could ask you, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we can give an episode that people can listen to, you know, and kind of one fell swoop and, and really take some good things away from it. But man, I just appreciate your time. And, and thanks for sharing with us from, from so many different angles and really just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Devin, have a great week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'll definitely have a great week. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.